you will, please stand with me as we read our passage for this morning. I'll start in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and then I'll pick up in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Listen for Paul's burden to see the gospel continue to go out. Chapter 2, verse 1, here's the word of the Lord. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. There is a kind of curiosity that is common during this part of the year of Easter. And the TV producers understand this, and so we should expect all kinds of programs to to come up during this time of year that is trying to solve the, the great question, what did Jesus really do? Who was Jesus really? And there's this implication that we can't really know unless the journalists or the archaeologists will answer for us. I think there may be interesting things that we can learn or, or see in, in shows like that, but we know as the people of God that we don't have to listen or be taught by journalists and archaeologists on this question. Who Jesus was really, what He really did, God told us. 
he exhaled. He breathed out a perfect word that we can stand on. And so maybe we're curious as we come to Easter and we're wondering, in light of what Jesus did on Christmas, in light of how His Christmas mission resulted in His Good Friday sacrifice and then in His Easter resurrection, and now He has ascended into heaven, we may have the question, what is Jesus really doing right now? And I believe God has exhaled an answer. And we can go to different parts of the Bible to find out what is Jesus doing right at this moment. But one of the passages we would go to is what God breathed in our passage. When we look at 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13 in particular, one, one feature I want you to be aware of is it reads a lot like Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. I mean, you see, even in the first verse, my child, if you remember how Proverbs begins, my son, listen to these words. And I think these, the imagery we have in verses 4 through 6 and even, even the song we sing in verses 11 through 13 fits the kind of language of wisdom. I think what Paul is doing is he's saying on his deathbed to his beloved child, I want you to be wise. And I want you to be wise specifically in knowing what it is Jesus is doing right now. And in light of what Jesus is doing right now, you should be doing a certain thing. Verse 1 of chapter 2. What is Jesus doing right now? He is strengthening His servants. The ascended King strengthens His servants for the purpose of His gospel going on. Here's the gospel truth of our passage, the ascended king strengthens his servants so his gospel will go on. Point number one. Jesus in heaven is giving grace to earth to his servants so that we would entrust other servants with the gospel. Jesus is giving grace to entrust servants in his house with the gospel. That's in chapter 2, verse 2. I want to remind you, whenever we're looking at a passage in Scripture that is the wisdom of God, remember that the wisdom of God is not just better advice for your life. The wisdom of God, if you'll remember from the book of Proverbs, is what it means to fear God. And we're told in wisdom literature that the righteous listen to wisdom and they live and the evil ignore wisdom and then they die. We are being invited to the wisdom and the fear of God to listen and then live. Paul is dying. He has spent the strength that Christ has given to him to set believers on a firm foundation in Christ. Last week we talked about this. He is aware that even in the church in Ephesus, it is like the nation of Israel that had Korahs, these false teachers, even in the church. If you look back in chapter 2, verse 14, see how there are people in the church who are ruining their hearers. 
Look in verse 18. The hearers of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were in the church in Ephesus, these false teachers, when you listen to those who have swerved from the truth, your faith will be upset. That's the language of the ground beneath you being split apart and you being swallowed up like the people who followed Korah. Paul is aware of this. He is aware in his day that false teaching is a threat to every Christian and every church. And beloved, today, false teaching threatens every Christian and every church. And so Paul, as he's dying, is saying, if there is not faithful men who will teach the gospel, then everyone will be swallowed up in hell. So I need there to be faithful men to continue on the gospel. Timothy, what you have heard from me, verse 2. You need to entrust to faithful men who will teach others. If you're a Christian, I believe you can trace your salvation to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You can trace the fact that you have heard and believed the gospel to the fact that Churches obeyed chapter 2, verse 2. And they raised up pastors who would preach a pure gospel. And then those pastors preached to churches. And Christians heard the true gospel. And then they took that true gospel to their neighbors who were not believing. And they became Christians. And those people who became Christians then found themselves in churches that had Faithful men teaching the true gospel. And you trace that out over centuries. And it ends up coming to a man who preached the gospel to you. Or it comes to a man or a woman who shared the gospel to you because she was trained by. And she heard the faithful men say what Paul said in his day. I trust that if you're a Christian, you have experienced the need for strength whenever you have tried to faithfully teach the gospel to your loved ones and have been rejected. You've needed courage. You understand the need from grace, for grace from Christ. Beloved, I want you to believe that if the ascended king was not doing this now, if the ascended king had not poured grace out, you would still be caught in Satan's snare. That's what chapter 2, verse 24 through 26 says, that Satan is capturing people to serve his purposes. And he keeps them in kind of a stupor from sin and deception. And if the king in glory was not pouring grace out upon you, you would never have believed. You would never have heard. As we heard last week, the king rescues sinners through gospel preaching. Be wise, church. The king deserves more than you. This is a king who deserves the world. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, in some ways is the great commission in this It is as if Jesus is saying, I want to strengthen you so that you will fill my world with my disciples and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. 
Beloved, the king's grace got the gospel from 11 men all the way to you. And entrusting the gospel to faithful men, a gospel that will make people obedient fully to Christ, that is our mission's mandate. What is the mission of Graham Bible Church? It's the same mission of every single church. It is this, entrusting to faithful men a gospel that makes people fully obedient to Christ. That is the mission of this church. So think about four of our main ways that we do missions work in this church. Number one, Simeon Trust. Simeon Trust. Some of you know what Simeon Trust is. It's this organization that trains pastors how to rightly handle the Word of God. You want your pastors spending a significant amount of time training other men to rightly handle the Word both in our church and then in other churches. So we gladly support Simeon Trust, and we devote a significant amount of time to that ministry. Number two, pastoral internship. Because of the Great Commission, we want to train pastor-training pastors. Number three, the Brazos River Ministers Association. Because of verses like this and because of the Great Commission, every church is given strength by Christ to be concerned that there be biblically faithful churches outside of ours. And so we have gathered together pastors within 90 miles of Graham and try to encourage their faithfulness as they teach their churches. But then also, we want to see Pastors trained up among the Red River peoples. That's why we support the, the work in, uh, among the A-team. That's why we support Dennis Amandi and his work in East Africa. Right now, our church is supporting Pastor Richard as he's doing a pastoral residency there in Kenya so that he can then go out and plant a church. It's because of passages like this. Beloved, are you not grateful that the gospel got to you? Then you should be devoted The king wants you devoted to our 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 strategies. I want to encourage you, out of gratitude for your own salvation, to commit yourself to praying for those ministries. Pray for them. Pray that the Lord would multiply them. And I want to encourage you to give sacrificially to them. There's an opportunity to give for the funding of an internship. I think you should do it. To give for the needs of Pastor Richard in Kenya, I think you should do it. To support the pastors of the church being involved in training others to handle the word and to be trained in handling the word, we should be devoted to that. The ascended king strengthens his servants so that his gospel will go on and keep going on. Point number two, Christ is giving strength so that we might endure the suffering that comes from preaching the gospel. Point number two, Christ is giving strength to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. When you read the book of Proverbs, you see stories about ants, right? You see stories about birds. It's using these illustrations about jewels, 
And then you'll hear uh, the writer of Proverbs say, after he talks about ants, seek understanding. Our passage is a little bit like that. Paul starts talking about soldiers and runners and farmers. And then he says, verse 7, Think over what I say, and then the Lord will give you understanding. Some complicated things in our passage. Verses 3 through 13. I want to try to explain this as simply as possible. In this kind of proverbial wisdom, Paul gives three reasons and one resource for one requirement. Paul, in these verses, gives three reasons and one resource for one requirement. Three reasons for one requirement and one resource for one requirement. And the requirement is in verse 3. The requirement is to share in suffering. And then he gives three reasons for why we should share in suffering and one resource for sharing in suffering. Reason number one, endure suffering for the sake of your own salvation. Listen, beloved. Paul says you should endure suffering for the sake of your own salvation. Look at this, the illustrations in verses 4 through 6. Look there at the word. Paul is saying, be wise, my son. How you spend the strength that Christ is giving to you will greatly affect your future. How you respond now will greatly affect your future. Verse 4. Civilians please themselves. Not soldiers. Civilians are concerned with their comfort, with their safety, with their pleasure, not soldiers. Soldiers please their enlisting officer. Yes, sir. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Timothy, you've got a king. And your king has enlisted you to forsake that life of ease of, of civilian life. And for you to pursue his purposes, and his purpose is to get his gospel out. And it will be costly. Verse 5. Whenever the International Cycling Union found out that Lance Armstrong had taken steroids, the ICU took away his seven Tour de France titles. He broke the rules. Paul says, Timothy, our king has set rules. You need to understand, there are rules to the race. And he will not give you a crown unless you suffer. If you refuse to suffer, you are cheating, and he won't give you the crown. Verse 6, if a farmer does not do the hard work, then he should not enjoy the fruit. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, getting the gospel out is going to be hard work. You need to share in suffering. In chapter 4, verse 5, he'll say, endure suffering. Back in chapter 1, he said, do not be ashamed of the gospel or the chains. You need to share in suffering. That's part of the hard work, but you need to know there's a harvest beyond the hardness. But it's beyond the hardness. And then there's these trustworthy sayings in verses 11 through 13 at the end of our section. The trustworthy sayings are part of the same 
first reason that you need to endure suffering for the sake of your own salvation. But before we go to the trustworthy sayings of verses 11 through 13, I want to look at the one resource that Timothy has for his suffering. The one resource that we have for enduring suffering is verse 8. This is what will fuel our suffering. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. I don't know if you picked up on this whenever Bob was reading Mark chapter 8 earlier, but there's so many connections between Mark chapter 8 and our passage. In our passage, Jesus is turning to his disciples and he starts to speak plainly to them. He speaks plainly to them about who he is as the Son of Man. They know who the Son of Man is from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is that one who is presented before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days takes all authority from every other king in all the world and hands it to the Ancient or to the Son of Man. And Jesus says, I am that Son of Man. I am the King who will give, be given all authority in heaven and on earth. And you need to understand how I'm going to get my crown. Son of Man must suffer and be raised. You ever think about the word must? In order for the Ancient of Days to take authority from everyone else and hand it to me, I must suffer and I must be raised. Peter's ashamed. He brings Jesus aside and he rebukes him. You must not talk like that. Jesus then corrects him. If I would be king of this world, I'm going to be a certain kind of king. I'll be the prince of peace. The problem is, I don't have peace with anyone in the world. Everyone in the world is at war against me. And in order to give sinners peace, I have to suffer. I must suffer. Because in order to give them any kind of good, I have to deal with all their sin. And so Jesus understands to get his crown, he must take up a cross and suffer on that cross for the sins of all the people that he will save and absorb all of the wrath of God. But he must not just suffer, he must also be raised. Jesus, remember Jesus Christ. He was dead. He is risen. Now he is on David's throne. The offspring of David. This is how he got there. To get the crown, he had to take the cross of our eternal damnation. This is the only way that it works. And Timothy, your one resource that is going to help you to turn from your desire to have what the civilians have. Can I for once just have a a peace from this war? Can I have some comfort and say something? All those people will want to hear. The one resource you need to guard you from breaking the rules, Timothy, if you resist suffering, you're breaking the rules. The one resource you need to keep your hands on a painful plow is to remember Jesus Christ. He is risen. He has claimed the crown. In other words, your king who you were following did not act like a civilian. 
Your king, you need to remember, was not a cheater. Your king, remember, has a harvest only because he didn't turn away when it was the hardest. When he faced the wrath of God, your will be done. He died. Paul is saying, be wise. This is the only path. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to reign, you have to suffer. The only way you get your crown is through a cross. Now, and only now, are we ready for verses 11 through 13. Verses 11 13 is a song. You see how it's kind of set off differently in your Bibles from the rest of the writing. Paul is rehearsing these words and he starts to sing. Are you amazed by the lyrics that he sings? Now, verse 13 may not surprise you at all that he was singing verse 13. This is a refrigerator verse. This is one of those things you want to remember. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible. It's also one of the most dangerously misread verses in the Bible. The way most people read this and get encouragement from it is to say, even if we are faithless to the Lord Jesus, he will be faithful to give us heaven. That is not what it's saying. Just look at the words. Look at the words right before it. And let me tell you, this verse is far more encouraging than that. It is far more encouraging than that. What Paul is saying to Timothy is just because people who profess Christ are faithful, faithless to their promises to Christ, Christ will never be faithless to His promises. That's far more encouraging. Let me explain this to you. If you look in verses 11 through 13, you could say, that each one of these little phrases is, is divided up into two halves of promises. There are Christ's promises on one side and our promises on the other side. Christ's promises are the thens, you know, the if-thens. Christ's promises are the thens, and our promises are the professor. Those who profess Christ are promising the ifs. Let me explain this. When someone comes to faith in Christ, what they are promising Christ, according to Mark Mark chapter 8, if any would follow me, you must take up your cross daily. We promise Christ, I will die to sin. I will die and set aside my selfish pursuits and I will live for you. We promise Christ, I will deny myself. By bearing a cross, by enduring suffering, I will not be ashamed of your gospel and the suffering it brings to me. I will spend your strength to live for your name and to get your gospel out. Those are our promises. And faithfulness, listen, faithfulness to our promises proves that our faith was genuine. Us actually keeping those promises doesn't save us. It proves that Christ really did save us. That we really do believe. I am a sinner and I need to die to sin. I really believe that there is something better in this world 
than ease. I really believe that he's not going to give me my crown unless I follow in his path. Why wouldn't I want to follow in his path? He died for me. He said everyone who believes will pick up a cross and die for him. And then he will give me heaven and himself. If you really believe that, then your faithfulness to those promises will prove that. And Jesus then comes and he promises, if you are faithful, notice this, watch this. He says, what is true of me in verse 8, I died and was raised to get the crown. You See that? Son of David means crown. What was true of me in verse 8, if you are faithful, what was true of me will be true of you. Verses 11 and 2. If you die, you will live. If you endure your cross, you will reign and get a crown. Then verse 13. However, if you are ashamed to suffer for me, that's how Jesus describes being unwilling to suffer as a Christian is is equated to denying him. That's what he says in Mark 8. It's not real faith. If you are ashamed to suffer for me, then I will remain faithful. I will remain faithful. And what did he say in Mark 8? When I come in my Father's glory, I will be ashamed of you. I will not deny myself. I will deny you entrance into heaven. You see why Paul's singing? I hope that makes you want to sing. I hope that verse 13 is actually really encouraging to you. And you need to understand that verses 11 through 13 are, is not just a song that is sung at the Ministerial Alliance meeting. It's not just sung for pastors, right? This is the whole church's song. All who follow me, these are the pr- promises I am making to you. And beloved, if you are worried about falling away, you need to know that Christ in heaven is pouring out grace. He is pouring out strength and all the resources that you need to be faithful to him in the face of suffering is given to you by Christ. So that Paul, whenever he remembers Jesus Christ risen from the dead and then he looks down at his chains, you see that in verse nine, he's in chains bound as a criminal when he thinks about what Christ endured for him and then what he received for his endurance. Paul starts to sing. If I endure, I will live. If I die for him, I will live. He will not deny himself. He will be faithful. If I endure, he will share his crown with me. He's going to do it. These chains won't stop me. And so reasons two and three come in verses nine and ten. He says, yes, Timothy, they can imprison you. Yes, they can kill you if you speak this truth. But they cannot tie up the gospel. They cannot tie up the gospel any more than they could keep Jesus dead. He is not bound and he is crowned. His word is not bound. Therefore, no one is going to stop him. No one will stop Jesus from saving everyone he has promised to save. Sing. Reason number three, therefore, verse 10, I will endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they may actually obtain 
the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In order to be saved, they have to hear. So I will endure anything to get them to hear because if they hear, He will save everyone He's promised to save. He will do it. And so He sings. The King is on His throne. And His gospel has His strength. You see that? The Word of God is not bound. Just like Jesus is not bound. And if the word is that strong, it doesn't matter if they bind me. I will endure that. No threat will silence me because I live to please the king. And in the strength that he provides, he gives me strength for other people to be saved. And the only way I will actually obtain salvation, the only way I will actually realize it, as if I'm not scared into silence, because that's not a real Christian. Church, sing your song. This is your song. The king is going to keep his promise, no matter what, how much pain it costs us. He will keep his promise. Therefore, if you bear his cross, you will share his crown. That should make you so willing to bear a cross. Some of you here... It may sound totally foreign why you would rejoice over a cross. For the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It's not the suffering we rejoice in. It's not the suffering we love. It's what is beyond it. There is total forgiveness of sins and a love from a father who will never kick you out and a Christ who will save you completely, who has done that by loving you unto death on the cross. He is the only one who has authority. Will you submit to him? Turn from your sins and trust in the king. The ascended king strengthens his servants so that his gospel will go on in in the face of even death. Third and finally, Christ is giving strength so that we might be equipped for service by the gospel. Listen, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. We are equipped for... For serving God by the gospel. The gospel itself is what equips us. I want you to look at how Paul is comparing Timothy. Look in verse 14. But as for you, he's comparing Timothy to the others. As for you, in comparison to those people in verse 3 who were imposters. They're not real Christians. You have Genuine, firm faith. In, in comparison to them in verse 8, who are disqualified regarding the faith, they are opposing the truth. Timothy, you are not like Korah, and there are people in churches now who are like Timothy who firmly believe. But isn't it interesting how sometimes we get so focused on just getting someone to pray a prayer in initially believing a gospel, how the apostle is concerned that even though Timothy firmly, genuinely, sincerely believes, he's got to continue in it. He has to continue in the gospel. Or else, he will be shown to be an imposter. But of course he won't be. This is just to be a sign that he really has it is that he continues in it. The gospel, beloved, 
does not make baby professors. Not baby professors of the faith. The gospel makes complete Christians. It is able. The sacred writings you have heard from your childhood, you've got to continue in. It's not enough that you started as a child. You've got to continue in them. Because just as they were able to make you a Christian, they are still, you see that, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All of God's Word is needed. The complete Word is needed to complete you. You see that? You need it all. And it will be used by the the King to powerfully make you obtain salvation. It will all give you faith in Christ Jesus. And Timothy, for your good work of the gospel to go on, you need this gospel continually to teach you, to reprove you, to correct you, and to train you. You still need it. We can have a kind of tunnel vision with the Great Commission where we're only thinking about getting people to make decisions. Where we're only concerned with people making decisions. And we neglect their need continue in the gospel. Their continual need of the gospel to then complete them. The king does not just deserve many decisions. He wants mature Christians. He wants mature disciples. He doesn't just want many decisions. He does. He deserves it all. But he is after mature, complete disciples because he's a savior. He wants people to actually obtain salvation and not fall away. So we need the gospel to stay in us. Who is the gospel for? If the ascended king is sending strength for his gospel to go on, if the ascended king is sending strength for his gospel to go on, then everyone who willingly is under his rule devotes themselves to getting the gospel in and getting the gospel out. If the king is sending strength for the purpose of the gospel going on, then everyone who is submitting to his rule is devoted to getting the gospel in and getting the gospel out. Let me close with these two encouragements. Use the king's grace to get the gospel in you. Jesus does not want you to fall short of the fullness of life with Him. You need the gospel. It doesn't matter that you were acquainted when you were a child. That can be something to rejoice in. But you further need the gospel. To keep giving you faith, He says. To keep saving you. That's what He says in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel by which you are still being saved. My Lily, my three-year-old Lily, used to really struggle with bath day. Uh, she would always fuss. She didn't like the process of being cleaned. She liked being clean. But she did not like the process of being cleaned. My daughter is like her daddy. Oh, I want you to see something. When, whenever... Verse 17 says, the man of God needs all of the gospel of God in order to be equipped for every good work. Paul is going back to chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. 
Timothy, if you're going to be an honorable servant in God's house, if you're going to be ready for every good work, you have to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. What is it that cleanses us, that makes us ready for every good work? You see it? To be ready for every good work, you have to cleanse yourself, which means get the gospel in you, because that's what will cleanse you and make you ready for every good work. But the cleansing process is, by definition, corrective. Do you see those words for correction and what the gospel actually does in us? Verse 16, you need the gospel to be preached to you. You need the members of the household of God to apply the gospel to specific things in your life. It includes teaching you, verse 16, what you don't yet understand. It includes also reproving the things that you misunderstand. It includes correcting the sins that you're still committing. And it includes training you to be righteous like Christ. Our king wants the gospel to go on in you. Do not neglect it. Get it in. And then use the king's grace to get his gospel out. Don't deny him, church. He set up the rules. This is the way it works. If you deny him, not by saying, I believe in Buddha, by being unwilling to open your mouth because you're ashamed to suffer. Then he says he will deny us. We tell about him even when it costs us relationships. This is hard work. And we need boldness. But you are given strength by Christ to tell everyone in your world that he is a king who deserves allegiance and obedience. And you need to get the gospel out, not only in the world outside, but in the church as well. We don't just need you to be here so that you hear the gospel. We need you to be here so that you can speak the gospel to the elect, so that we would obtain salvation. And no suffering is going to be too great. Paul says all of it is going to feel momentary compared to the eternal glory that he is going to share with us. The ascended king strengthens his servants so that his gospel will go on. Father in heaven, we pray that your mighty king would give us strength so that we might raise up people who will faithfully teach your word to people outside of this church, to generations to come to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel and then also to be equipped and to not turn away when the gospel corrects us and reproves us and teaches us and trains us in righteousness. That's what we want. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.